Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day. We don't deserve this, Father. We don't deserve to be alive. We don't deserve to call ourselves your children. We just uh, live today in gratitude and thankfulness for your grace and your mercy and your outpouring love. Both at our salvation and through our lives, you sustain us and you're patient with us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring you glory in this life, to live out your word, to live in your plan, to show the world your light. Father, we ask you help us right now concentrate on your word. Help us forget about the details of life and help us hear the special message you have for us tonight. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. God's Love for Orphans, Part 3. I hope you're enjoying the series. Uh, we started this on Sunday. If you missed any messages, you can go back online and catch up. But I just want to start this way tonight, that we should all be so thankful that God is a God of compassion. You know, we lose sight of sometimes the simplest things. He's a God of compassion, among all other things that, you know, he could have been. We find out about God through his word. We find out more about him through his word. And sometimes we forget the most basic things, like his love. And all of us had nothing to offer God, being trapped in the mire of sin. But the love of God is beyond human comprehension. I mean, if you're honest, it's, it's difficult to think about and to picture. It's just so beyond what any of us would do for one another. He reaches out to the unlovely simply because that's who he is. Just as we studied, he is eternal life, and he's also love. That's just the fact of the matter. He's, he is love. So turn again in your Bibles to Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. And as we're going to see throughout the message tonight, because he is love, he acts in love. Um, God's love is not stagnant whatsoever. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice the word demonstrates and died. Of course, there's no greater demonstration possible to prove one's love. Look at Romans 5.19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. When Adam fell, Satan had a victory, and he was temporarily given control over this world. 
And from that point on, all men born after Adam inherited his fallen state. But God could not sit still. He's the God that loves orphans, that loves the destitute, that demonstrates his love. So on the board, we've seen this about God, helping the helpless. Were it not for God reaching out to us and saving us, we would have been lost forever. He offers the righteousness of Christ and therefore spiritual adoption to anyone who's willing to place their trust in his son. We were all born helpless in a situation with no hope. As we talked about on Tuesday, we were born this way. Every person since the fall of Adam is born under sin and therefore as children of the devil, children of a tyrant, under slavery to sin. We've seen 1 John 3.10, John 8.44 as examples. That's where we came from. And God's passion couldn't just sit back and let it be. Thank God. That's not who he is. And that's the great example we have to follow. It's a great example that should inspire us every day. That God didn't sit back even though he could have and should have. We can live in that. We can walk in that. We can be alive in that instead of being stagnant. The perspective has been to rightly see ourselves as spiritual orphans who have now been adopted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. It began with all of us sinners who are now saved by grace in this church and many others, and it extends to others in this world who do not yet see the light. That same offer of adoption is available to everybody, and that's been one of the main messages in the series. So on the board, again, helping the helpless. As an extension of Jesus, we reach out to spiritual orphans and literal orphans. Both are noble activities because they involve helping the helpless, the very thing God loves to do. It's really that simple. On Sunday, we expanded on pure religion and visiting orphans and widows, and the Spirit prompted us to consider what they have in common and why they're mentioned together in Scripture so much. So one of the main common descriptions would be that they have lost someone in their life who loved them and provided for them. And therefore, God the Father reaches out to them with both love and provisions, and He calls us to do the same thing. After all, He did it for us. How can we hold back from sharing that wonderful news? And we also noted on Tuesday, if you look at this, um, there's both an emotional pain, an emotional loss, if you will, losing a loved one, there's also a practical loss, a practical pain, uh, maybe logistical, in losing a provider. God the Father steps in, and He provides. Maybe not how we think, maybe we don't see it right away, but He provides, and sometimes in indescribable ways. And He uses us, and He, he asks us to help with that. Again, to reach out as his representatives.
So we have this calling on our lives to help those that are in need, both spiritually and practically or materially. And another major theme that's been coming out, both of these things are a shining example of the love of God the Father. And God may use one or both of them as we reach out to a lost and dying world to uh, show His amazing love that He has for everybody. He might use one or both of those approaches. And when we live with the heart of God like this, we bring great glory to our God and Savior. Just follow Him. We've talked a lot about adoption and how being adopted, believers have a new father and a new inheritance, now being members of His family. So on the board, one more thought about this regarding our adoption. Jesus died to make us His brothers and for us to be able to call God our Father like He did. The great purpose (laughs) to save us, to adopt us, to bring us into the family without any um, hindrances, um, disqualifications. Turn to Galatians 4, verse 4. And this is one more key passage in the New Testament about our adoption. Again, Jesus died to make us his brothers and for us to be able to call God our Father as he did. In other words, it's not like uh, being a stepchild, all right, in this world. We're in an imperfect world, right? And stepchildren, for example, aren't always treated the same as children of blood. It's not like that, especially because he's God and he's perfect. But it is a full adoption where all the rights and privileges and love and all that is the same and pure. So obviously the Lord's sacrifice made these relationships on the board possible for all eternity. And uh, this verse, along with some others, helps us find common ground uh, on the theme of adoption. Look at Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of the time came... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's a message we can share when spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you never know what perspective is going to hit the unbeliever right between the eyes and open their eyes. And in this day of families being torn apart, the Spirit is saying, consider the wonderful family of God. Consider, unbeliever, that God is good and all good things come from Him. And He wants to rescue you from the devil's world. I mean, even, even the most ardent atheist can admit the horror in this world that's going on right now. And the devil's world is uh, something that makes sense. It's, it's plain as day. The corruption in this world and the sin and the death. Consider that he wants you, even when no one else does. That might be part of our message. 
and our gracious, faithful Lord promised to not leave us alone as orphans. He promised to come back for us once our rooms are prepared and the time is right. So on the board again, John 14, 1 through 3 in the English Standard Version. He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So in the meantime, our loving Father sends us his love, his provisions, as we wait that day of glory and the adoption consummated. And we've also talked a lot about living in the heart of God, for lack of a better way to say it. To know God is to know his heart for the lost, the needy, and those in distress. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We're going to close with this too. We also saw this verse on Tuesday, revealing God's heart towards those in need. Jeremiah 22.16, He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy, then it was well. Is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord? That's a powerful verse. We complicate it, but God's saying, here I am. Isn't that what it means to know me? Kind of like we saw with Job. And orphans and widows in distress are an example held up for us in the Bible. And another commonality that came out on Tuesday is that when you help those who are in distress, as in James 1.27, you're helping those who cannot reciprocate. In Luke 14.12 through 14. You can turn there again to Luke 14.12. But this is what makes it pure and good. When you help those that are in distress, you're helping those who cannot reciprocate. And isn't that what the Lord did for us? Luke 14, 12. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If you'll notice, and hopefully you have been on the board, spirituality is practical. This came out I don't know if it was a year ago or so in our lessons, but God here in this series is tying in the spiritual with the practical. He has us going back and forth from the spiritual to the material for a reason. 
to see that spiritual things have a practical application to life. It seems like it's always tied in if you, you know, step back and look at the big picture. Spiritual is always tied into something practical in living life. So instead of hyper-spiritualizing everything like we tend to do in our flesh, we should ask what spiritual things mean in living out our lives. How does this apply to life? How does this fit in? What does God want me to do with this spiritual understanding? Along the same lines, the Spirit has been teaching us for years now on the board that love is an activity. It begins with a changed heart, of course, which God does for the believer and proceeds out in the living of life with others. We might say, very simply, love is practical. We've already seen John 13, 17 and John 15, 13 and Romans 5, 8. We just saw Romans 5, 8, where God's love demonstrates, or he demonstrated his love through giving up his son. We might simply say love is practical. We might ask ourselves, when is love not practical? That's why Jesus said, you are blessed if you do these things. God is practical. With God, nothing is for no reason. In other words, everything has a reason with God. Nothing he does is useless or purposeless, especially because he is love. God's love is meant to actually reach out and help people. I mean, even a child knows that, right? God's love is actually meant to reach out and help people. He's not sitting on his high horse in heaven, you know, saying I love you but not doing anything. It's the exact opposite. And the example before us now is how we treat orphans and widows in distress, just like he treated all of us spiritual orphans who were totally lost and helpless. And we saw James' encouragement to live out life serving widows and orphans in distress. It was lived out thousands of years ago by a man named Job. So we're going to read that wonderful illustration again. Uh, go to Job 29, verse 1. It's such a great picture painted through Job's life, the way he lived. And it ties right in with James 1.27. Job 29.1. And Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by, and as in the days when God watched over me. So again, he's reminiscing. Right now he's in his suffering and testing, but he's looking back. When his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. As I was in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Obviously that's speaking of prosperity. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid themselves. And the old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. 
The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to their palate. For when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it gave witness of me. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. Just think of all the implications in that simple statement. I was a father to the needy. And I investigated the case which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth. So there we see the lifestyle of a blameless and upright man in God's eyes. At this point, let's pause for a balance statement here. And this is especially dedicated to the men. Don't go put on your red capes and fly into action. Bum, I'm going to go save everybody. Let's not get a hero complex and make it all about ourselves because that is our temptation. It's about doing the right thing by grace through faith. That's how Job lived. Doing the right thing by grace through faith. So that being said, Job was a great example of living in the righteousness of God. On the board, why was he blameless and upright? Job defended the weak and spoke up for them when no one else would, as God does. And people knew he wouldn't overlook their unrighteous activities against the orphans and widows. In fact, he fought for them, even though it wasn't his fight. And because Job belonged to God, Job knew God's kindness towards him. And again, it was God's kindness towards him that motivated him to be kind toward others. It's when we really understand the love God had for us first, as undeserving and filthy as we were, that we're able to just pass that on to others freely, even um, aggressively, you might say, where you, you look for reasons to reach out with the same love you were shown. And that, my friends, is a living illustration of pure and undefiled religion. So cool. Not what most churches do these days and most religions do these days, but it's purely passing on the love of God, which we first received. So this is one clear and definite way we're told to live out our lives as believers. That's been another major theme in this series. We might call it on the board the simple truth. As followers of Christ, we are instructed to do things such as participate in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20, care for orphans and widows, James 1, 27, and love the brethren, John 13, 34 through 35, 15, 13, and Romans 13, 8, just to name a few. These are all very practical ways to express our faith in Jesus Christ. Are they not? I mean, these three things are up on the top of the list, right, of what the Bible says God wants from us as his children. And they're all very practical. They're all things we're called to do by grace through faith. And even simpler, our Lord said, we'll be blessed if we do these things. 
So the only question is, are we willing to trust his ways and his promises? Putting aside the self-life. Again, on the board, the simple truth. As followers of Christ, we are instructed to do things like participate in the Great Commission, care for orphans and widows, and love the brethren. These are all very practical ways to express our faith in Jesus Christ. As the Spirit also brought to our minds, there's really no shortage of people in need. Not only are there plenty of spiritual orphans to reach out to with the gospel and tell them about God's adoption plan, but there are plenty of literal orphans and widows to reach out to if we open our eyes, if we pray about it. And we've had this other concept here about defending the fatherless. The Bible often calls orphans, that's a tongue twister, the fatherless because the father is usually the provider in a family, especially if the mother is staying home to properly raise the child. Psalm 68.5 and 146 verse 9. We're going to get to one of those examples. But in many countries today, even, there are no jobs for women. Um, They're not trained. They're lacking the skills as well. And there's no one to take care of the child as well. So if they lose their husband in some way, um, they're left alone, so to speak, but also have no way of providing. And we can also think about how simple it is, uh, or rather how difficult it is in this country for a single mother to support her children. Not easy at all. And in that situation, you might possibly find both a widow and an orphan in the same home. So God's saying, pay attention to these people. You know, stop overlooking them and thinking everything's okay. Isn't that what we do? Or we help someone out once and we say, my job's done here, as though life doesn't go on and the struggle doesn't go on. You know what I mean? Until the child's grown or maybe the situation changes somehow. So, you know, it can be, it can be simple too. Like, we overlook the simple things. What if you literally brought a bag of groceries to someone in this situation and then watched their kid for three hours? What type of a difference does something small like that make to someone who's uh, backs against the wall, who doesn't know maybe even where the next meal's coming from or the next income's coming from, has no support? It can make all the difference in the world, and that is showing them the love of Christ. So it might have both uh, material and spiritual repercussions. The Spirit's saying, instead of thinking you're spiritual by sitting home, thinking and praying all the time, get up and do the things you claim to believe. God loves orphans. He does something about it. Do like God. Go to Psalm 68, verse 5. We've already seen James 1.27 and John 13.17. Go to Psalm 68.5. God loves orphans. Our God, the one that saved us, He loves orphans. God does because love does. Psalm 68, let's start in verse 4. 
Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song for Him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before Him. A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. Sounds kind of like Job, doesn't it? He was a father to the needy, and the widow's uh, heart sang when they saw him. A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And we're his children. We're his adopted ones. We carry his name. If you call yourself a Christian, or whatever you want to say, if you're a follower of Christ, you carry his name around. So what does he do? What does he think like? And more importantly, how does he act? Verse 5 again, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. We have to ask ourselves, do we? God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So let's imitate our God and our Lord and Savior who reached out to widows and orphans. Reached out is the key word. Again, Jesus didn't just sit back on his Jewish sofa, DJ, and wait for people to come to him. DJ really liked that one. Uh, Hey, he was a carpenter. He probably had an awesome, awesome sofa. But anyway, um, he didn't just sit back and wait for people to come to him and say, hey, I heard you're, you know, feeding the hungry, or I heard you're, uh, you know, blessing the orphans, like some religious people do these days. He stepped out. He reached out. In other words, he went and found people. He traveled into towns, into villages. Maybe we need to travel into our neighborhoods where there's plenty of needs. He showed us what love is and what he wants us to do. He showed us. He illustrated it to us with his very own life, ended up giving it up for us. So we must make sure we do these things with the right heart, of course, not for selfish gain, but we also must not complicate it. Again, the faith of a child. Follow him. Do what he did. And again, there's the benefit of helping those who can't reciprocate. So back to orphans and widows as specific examples of those we have to reach out to. I think of the Lord's compassion on the widow who also lost her only son. Turn to Luke 7, verse 11. Luke 7, 11. The Lord had compassion on a woman who already lost her husband and was about to lose her only son. Luke 7, 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, 
and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, saw her, he felt compassion for her, and he said, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Question for us all. How did God visit his people? How did God show himself? By visiting a poor widow in distress, and it was a hands-on experience. The Spirit's telling us to remember God visited you. Did you forget God visited you when you were like without hope, when you were like, what's life all about? And this is horrible, and I don't know what my purpose is, and I don't know if I'm going to be saved. And God visited you, orphans without hope. He reached out to save us. And so that is our tremendous motivation to do what he did for people like this widow. He's telling us, this is what I want my children to do too. We may not be able to raise people from the dead, but we can certainly reach out and comfort a grieving widow or a lonely orphan, etc. Even the worst of us can do that, for lack of a better phrase. Anyone can do that, by grace through faith. Anyone can do that. So here's a point we need to get to in this series. On the board, God's purposes are known. They're not hidden, unless you want to keep them hidden. But they're pretty plain. We're often, we often get caught sitting home in self-pity as though we haven't been given a new life in Christ. And with that new life comes a new purpose. We're deceiving ourselves if we do that. We're literally deceiving ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. Our eyes are on the wrong thing, namely self and how we can please self or have a better life for ourselves. His word tells us what he wants us to do, practically speaking. And he expects us to do with the faith of a child. Micah 6, 8. John 13, 13 through 17, Galatians 2, 10. Let's turn first to Galatians 2, 10. Again, the point is that God's purposes are known. There, there's no room for excuses. And thank God they're this plain and simple and direct. We often get caught sitting home in self-pity as though we haven't been given a new life in Christ. We're deceiving ourselves if we do that. His word tells us what he wants us to do, practically speaking. Galatians 2.10. Paul wrote, as he was commissioned out to go to the Gentiles, they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Why? That's the heart of God. That's the heart of Christ. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. 
And on the board, look at Micah 6, verse 8 in the message translation. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Pretty interesting translation. But it's pretty plain what God wants us to do. It's the same things He's done for us. So let's be honest with ourselves. The reason we get tricked into depression and loneliness is because we're often lazy and unwilling to get off the couch and obey the word. If we, I really believe this is true, and this is for myself too, if we actually made a decision to not stay home when we could just stay home, and we decided to walk out the door and go find something or somebody to help, whether it's in our family of believers or it's not, if we actually decided that's the way I'm going to live, we would be surprised how quickly we get over ourselves and how much peace and happiness we find. Again, I think we trick ourselves into this position really because of disobedience. Our faith is to be exercised on others. Our faith is meant to be exercised on others. Love is meant to be exercised on others, not only expressed privately to God. Again, our Father reached down to others in need, and that's what our Father wants us to do as well. If we have the right heart, if our motivation is to bring glory to God, then we live the spiritual life by doing something as direct and simple as visiting orphans and widows in their distress. Not going out and doing this amazing thing in the world that everybody sees and we affect millions of people at one time. He wants us each to do something. It's like the parable of the talents, right? You're faithful in a little thing. I'll give you, you know, authority over ten cities. Whatever I've assigned you, wherever I've put you, whatever people I've put in your path, that's your major assignment in God's eyes. You might think it's small, and it's not. And notice also in James 1.27, here again on the board, we're told to visit orphans and widows. It doesn't say anything about finances here, necessarily, although that might be involved at some point. But how valuable is it when someone is simply comforted, that they know someone's on their side, or, or at least there, when they've lost someone or lost a provision or both? You know, James says visiting orphans and widows in their distress. And in this, at the same time, and this is an interesting correlation. We're also told here to keep ourselves unstained by the world. And if we're busy keeping God glory, then in the process, that helps us keep unstained by the world. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying when you don't keep busy enough and you have too much time in your hands? Right? It can only go downhill unless you just happen to have a really good day. God's like, God's like, get up and do something. It almost doesn't matter what it is. 
it's get up and do something. I mean, say a prayer, doing the right motivation, but get up and do something. And this is another way that obedience blesses us. It keeps us unstained from the world or by the world. If we're actually using our time to focus on those in need, we don't have time to entertain the things of the world, the filth in the world. Remember Job's example again. What does it say about Job on the board in Job 1.1? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Well, I'm going to venture a guess that one of the things that really helped Job is that he obeyed God in taking care of orphans and widows. If we obey that call to do simple things like that, help those in need, as Job did as a type of Christ, there's no time to get deceived by sin and the world. How can a man keep himself unstained by the world? We know we can't do it ourselves, right? In our own effort. How about doing godly things like the good things God did for you? And if we're humble and obedient to the Lord and His Word, you're going to find that God calls you to certain people in your life as your assignments. You're going to be assigned to certain people, at least for periods of time in your life. It might be someone in your, um, your blood family, your earthly family. It might be someone in your church family. It might be a neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that do? It works miracles in somebody's soul is what it does, especially in this dark, cold world. And keeps you out of trouble. Right? Amen? I know you guys aren't in trouble, like me. Anyway, allow me to share for a moment something. I can honestly say I love my life. And I, I don't mean like in an emotional way, but just in a grateful way that despite my flaws and a couple difficult days here and there, as we all have, I love my life. Why can I say that? For one reason only. God has made his purpose for me clear and known. So there's a certain satisfaction in that, a certain peace in that, and purpose. He's given me things to do that, that I know have eternal value. And he's done the same for you, too. Some of you might not see it right now, but he's done the same for you, too. It might be a matter of praying and finding what he wants you to do, but we just went over three major ones in the Bible that we're all told to do. When we live in our purpose, we can love our lives, you know? We can have that peace that we have a purpose and that, that we're doing things that have eternal value. And that's what God says. These things have eternal value. Forget what you think and your flesh thinks. And that's an amazing thing, that we can have eternal value on somebody else's life. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And even though I struggle with loving God sometimes, he gives me reassurances through the commands that he helps me keep. The things that he puts in front of me and the provisions that he provides to walk forward and do these things for him. And he offers us, us plenty of things to do that he calls good. 
So it's simpler than we want to make it, whether we like it or not, everybody. The only question is, are we willing to obey his commands? On the board, we're given purpose. We're given purpose. That's one reason why so many people out there are really frustrated with life and depressed and lonely and, and uh, angry and all sorts of things because they don't know what their purpose is. They're a lost orphan on the street with no guidance. And we have the chance to bring them in and tell them what our Father did for us. One of our greatest purposes. On the board, following Jesus includes living for others. As Jesus did, did when he healed the multitudes everywhere he went. We are to lay down our lives for others some way, somehow, as the Spirit leads each of us. John fifteen thirteen. No greater love than this. And it is then we will be blessed and happy. John 13, 17. How long has the Spirit been telling us this now? A long time. We must be stubborn. We must be holding back. I'm sure that Jesus was tired and thirsty and tired of dealing with people that were pulling on him and bumping into him and sinning against him while he was trying to help them. I'm sure he wasn't um, comfortable in the physical sense, maybe even in the emotional sense. But he laid down his life for others, and in that he had happiness because he was doing his Father's will. And he knew it. And he was satisfied. He had contentment. That's where the inner joy comes from, that he said, I want you to share my joy, that you know your joy may be made full. Self was not his priority, was it? Not even close. And he was the happiest person that ever lived. So he desires us to reach out and love others in a variety of ways. Ultimately, that's between each of us and the Lord. It could be a million different ways, but we know what he wants us to do. So don't be deceived by sitting home on the couch and thinking you're living the spiritual life. God is very practical. His love doesn't exist for nothing. His love is active. So as we begin to close, I want to give you the example again of our faithful head deacon, Todd Johnson, in the back there, who is still running his nonprofit called Elder Sponsor. How many widows has he been able to help in a given year, each and every year, who have lost their loved one and their provider and need help with maintaining their home in safety? You might say, well, that's Todd. That's his gift. Well, why not volunteer to help widows in the community with an organization like that? Or if you'd rather not for some reason, why not volunteer at a local soup kitchen, literally? Why not? <laughs> Why don't we get off our couch and just go out and go to a place where we might actually be useful? And we don't even have to worry about spreading the gospel. We don't even have to worry about, I don't feel like talking to people right now. You can serve people a bowl of soup without talking to them, right? 
the, the, the point is, is by getting out there and doing these things, you don't know what God's going to bring in your path and how he's going to open up your heart or others' heart, who you're going to meet, who you're going to affect, whether it's by showing the physical love of Christ or, or sharing the love of Christ, talking about adoption. But if we don't actually go out there and love as an activity, we're the ones missing out. And we're, we're missing out also in bringing glory to God while we can. It takes willingness and not talent, we must remember. It takes choosing to reach out with the love of God instead of just talking about it. Why is that not our focus or our priority in our hearts? Maybe you're not ready yet. It's between you and the Lord. But maybe we're too busy sulking and focusing on self. Again, it's between each of us and the Lord. But you too can love your life for one reason only, because you choose to walk in God's purpose for you. And we know at least three major ones now, which have all come out in the last several years of our studies. It's plain, simple truth. And we know we'll be more blessed if we give instead of sitting back and waiting to receive. That's sin's path to misery. That's being deceived by sin. You want to be a miserable person, be deceived by sin? Sit home and wait. You know, there's a time to wait. Don't get me wrong. There's a time to pray. But don't sit back and wait to receive. Decide to give with your life as your overall lifestyle and watch what God does. So, just a little bit more wisdom from Job as we close. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Job 31. Job 31. I'm surprised we made it this far, but I guess we went kind of fast tonight. And it's another neat verse to learn from, from the righteous and upright Job. Again, why was he righteous and upright in God's eyes? Because he lived in grace and truth, by faith. Job 31, look at verse 13. If I have despised the claim of my male or female slaves when they filed a complaint against me, what then could I do when God arises? And when he calls me to account, what will I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And the same one fashion us in the womb? If I have kept the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the orphan has not shared it, but from my youth he grew up with me as with a father, and from infancy I guided her. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or that the needy had no covering, if his loins have not thanked me, and if he has not been warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the orphan because I saw he had support in the gate, let my shoulder fall from my socket and my arm be broken off at the elbow. For calamity from God is a terror to me, and because of his majesty I can do nothing. We should have a healthy fear of God if we know better 
which we do. If we know better and we do not help those in need, Job had a healthy fear of God. Obey God and His commands, and we'll be blessed in every way. Disobey His commands, it will be under discipline from our loving Father, and it might indeed be painful. But living for those in need, particularly orphans and widows, was a major part of righteous Job's lifestyle. And remember, in that way and others, he's a type of Christ. And by faith, we can live this way too. We just need to forsake what we call normal. And I think in our country, this is deeply rooted. We don't realize all the things that we call normal and we think are okay because they're normal to us, like watching TV, whatever. Ah, it's harmless. Is that what we're meant to do? Is that what we're called to do? Or are we like missing the boat big time by staying in what we consider normal and not going out to the villages or the neighborhoods and finding the orphans and widows and holding the hand of the needy and making the widow's heart sing. How we do that, how you do that, I have no idea. But I know that we're called to do it and I know God can use you in marvelous ways that you have no idea. Amen? All right, let's bow. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful examples you give us in Scripture with those who have followed you in the past with fear and reverence and with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you give us the faith of a child, that you help us put aside what we call normal, that you help us see your love be active in our lives with the same love you loved us Help us love others with, Father, in an aggressive, practical way. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go forward in your plan for our lives. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.